I'm Samantha Olds Fry, CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, and this is Sam Says, a podcast series focused on Illinois Medicaid managed care. Hello, I'm DeRondo Beverly with the Gemini Group, and welcome to Sam Says. On today's episode, we sit down with Ceci Fuentes, Public Health Manager, and Sheila Sanders, Community Engagement Director with EverThrive, to discuss immunizations and well child visits. But first, let me welcome our host, the Sam and Sam says, Samantha Oldsfry, CEO of I'm Hip. Sam, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Durandal? I am doing well. Let's bring in today's guests. Again, we have Ceci Fuentes, Public Health Manager, and Sheila Sanders, Community Engagement Director, both with EverThrive. Uh, Ceci, Sheila, welcome to Sam Says. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Let's dive into the, 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 into today's discussion. My apologies on well child visits and immunization. But before we do that, Ceci and Sheila, please lay the foundation for our listeners. Can you provide some background uh, on EverThrive and the work you do, particularly with immunizations and well child visits and healthcare policy in general? Absolutely. So EverThrive Illinois is a statewide organization and we're a not-for-profit organization that's been around for over 30 years. Um, and we focus on improving the quality of healthcare health disparities for women, children, and families in Illinois. Um, and we do that through a variety of measures. We have several focus areas, um, immunizations, which is the program that I oversee. We do um, a lot of policy and advocacy, maternal and child health, reproductive justice, um, health reform. So there's a variety of focus areas that we have um, that we focus on, and that's on a statewide level. And then as the immunization manager, I oversee our immunization work um, throughout the lifespan. I think that we also have like a unique role and we play that role where we, we keep our ears to the ground to understand what's going on in different regions of the state through the families that we have relationships with. But then also helping our uh, partner organizations that are interfacing with families to understand the latest policies, but in turn also talk about the barriers and trends that they're also seeing. So we're able to discuss and elevate that back when we're working with uh, different legislations and bills and adding different pieces to uh, justify why certain bills should be in place and why certain fundings need to be secured to just continue those efforts throughout the state. So we play that middle role that is very unique in itself. And to that point, Sheila, I'm so glad you outlined that because it, I think it's so critical and you really like teed up exactly where I want to go with this discussion, um, which is, you know, keeping your ear to the ground um, has given you guys such an unique insight, um, especially because we definitely know, and I think we would be remiss when we're talking about well child visits and immunizations, that the pandemic has absolutely impacted uh, yes. well child visits and immunizations. I mean, and, and not in a small way, but in a really significant way that we're gonna see the effects of for years to come. And so as we sort of, you know, talk about that. I think it's important that we just sort of lay the groundwork and let folks know sort of what we're seeing on the ground and what you guys are seeing. Um, can can you walk us through sort of what you're hearing from providers, from families, what the data, you know, is showing you guys today? 
so I'll jump in and I'll share some of the feedback that we've gotten from families. So uh, just to give you a heads up, so we have a relationship with families that are throughout the state, and that's in Rockford, DuPage County, Cook County, um, also in Marion County, Edwardsville, Lake County, and we, you know, have open discussions to understand what is happening and what is it that they're experiencing, but in turn also give them tips and advice on how to navigate those different challenges and systems. And I think the big part of it is that um, during this time, a lot of families saw the impact of COVID in different ways. Um, in some of the areas, it just seemed like nothing was happening, whereas in the major metropolitan cities, we saw more of it and the impact of it. And so because of the lack of communication from their primary care provider or clinics that they go to, there was no communication that is talking about bring your kids in for their well visits or keep up with your vaccinations or even to understand how are you communicating with families to say, these are the safety measures that we're taking to make sure that we're not mixing you with those coming in for sick call versus those coming in for well visits and updating their vaccinations. I would have to admit my son was behind on his 11 year old shots because of these things. And I would be the first to say, I didn't hear anything from my pediatrician, but also, you know, what are some other uh, options do folks have and also being aware of what's going on with the local health departments, the different initiatives that they're doing. And so we had that. And for some families that were able to work remotely and they created that bubble for their children, they felt like, well, I can continue to delay this because we've created our own bubble. They're not going in person. So I will only have to worry about getting them updated when it's time for them to do in-person, maybe camp or when they, who knows what's gonna happen in the fall with schools, especially now with the Delta variant being rampant the way that it is. But in turn, on the provider side, we've shared this feedback with those providers that are connected to hospital systems, some that are federally qualified health centers, and even with some of the local health departments explaining families want to understand what steps and initiatives are you taking to make sure that they are going to be safe. And you need to communicate that to families so they can make that decision. And some health departments in different parts of the state are working with some school districts to create different things where they're utilizing the school parking lot, maybe the park district parking lot, doing some outdoor vaccination drives or their mobile units going to different areas uh, and them being able to provide advertisements in, in regards to that. And those things are very important because if they don't have access to families being able to share that feedback, it doesn't allow them to be creative and innovative and being mindful. Step out of your work bubble and understand the, the vantage and perspectives that parents are having to wanna to ensure that not only themselves but their children are being protected when they are coming in for those well and up-to-date um, vaccinations. 
So, and we try to play that role to be able to share that feedback to make sure folks are mindful so they can be very creative and strategic when they do that because school is about to start in the fall and we just don't want that mad dash and folks are overwhelmed with all these families are trying to come in for vaccinations and they can't accommodate it because staffing is just varying in different places and it looks differently depending on the region. And we have a lot of folks that were on COVID. And so like COVID response and that transition of how that looks, I digress. I'll let Ceci uh, tap in. No, I mean, that's absolutely, you know, so outside of what Sheila said, which she covered, you know, everything I would just say in terms of of your question, Samantha, about the data, you know, the data is definitely both on the national and city level showing a decrease in, you know, vaccination across the lifespan, but particularly with the adolescent population. Um, And I think, you know, it definitely coincides with the seasonality of when adolescents and 11 year olds, like Sheila was just mentioning her own experience and her son being behind during the pandemic, um, coinciding with the pandemic, right? And so that really impacting and creating awareness. And as you mentioned earlier, Samantha, right? Like we're gonna have to play catch up, not just like in a matter of months, but it's, we're gonna see this impact for a significant amount of time uh, moving forward. So definitely there's quite a bit of work to do in that space outside of just um, the work that's being done in regards to COVID. Yes, and and to that end, what I know that we've seen from the data, and I imagine that you guys have too, is that the Medicaid population, which covers about a third of children in Illinois, they're seeing a larger gap um, a larger drop-off that hasn't yet rebounded um, than uh, folks with commercial insurance. And it, we are absolutely seeing in the adolescent space. Um, and, and it makes sense if you just think about it from, I'm a, I have a five-and-a-half-year-old, as he would like to point out. He's not five. He's very much <laughs> And, you know, at that younger age, those vaccinations, they align with their birthdays. Yes. And so, you know, there's not sort of that, that – typical seasonality. Uh, and so he, you know, was up to date and we didn't really miss anything um, because of sort of when everything fell in into line for him. But I know a lot of families is that as the kids get older, it all like vaccinations and well visits align up with school physical requirements. And so it's over the summer. Mm-hmm. And so if you think back to last summer, I, and as Sheila's pointed out, like, I mean, there was just, school wasn't going to open up. I mean, we knew it. And parents weren't taking their kids out places. And the doctor's office felt very scary. So without upfront communication about this is what we're doing, this is how you we can keep you safe, like these are still important, families were really hesitant to go in and get these well-child visits, get these immunizations. And there wasn't that natural sort of, you know, push. I need to get this immunization for this purpose because no, I'm in a bubble and I'm not sending my kids anywhere. So I'm in a delay. And now we're in this unique um, situation where schools are opening and we are just seeing a huge gap of where our vaccination rates normally are or where we would anticipate they'd be and where they are. Now, Sheila, you've already talked a little bit about what some folks are doing and you know how people can be creative because I don't think, and maybe you guys will tell me I'm, I'm wrong, but 
with where we are now, relying just on traditional, everybody's going to go in, get to the pediatrician's office and just get their traditional well visit, like they've done every year. Um, It almost feels like we have too many people for that to be our only solution. Um, So what are some of the best practices you guys have seen? And what are things you're recommending for communities, for schools, for public health officials, for health plans um, that they can... um, you know, do that work and improve vaccination rates. And, you know, obviously the goal is always to get people into their well-child visits and have comprehensive visits. Um, That's the gold standard, but if we can't get the gold standard, what can we do and what have you seen working? I do want to highlight that there is a pocket of families that were considered like maybe working class, middle class, well, a working class that had private insurance that lost their employment, which means they lost their insurance. And it was very difficult for them to navigate how to apply for state-issued health insurance, or at least to know to apply for insurance for their children. And because systems were delayed, they weren't able to talk to a live person, it was very aggravating and challenging for those families to navigate and figure out what to do. And a lot of those families also forgot you can tap into the health department to see what type of access is there and resources that they have there. And that looks different throughout the state because of course in Chicago, you have, you know, 311, but in other areas you may have 211, but some other regions don't have 211 where you can generally just call and find out certain resources. I think it's just very beneficial for everyone to work together, especially since the weather would have accommodated to do some things where there are some vaccination and physical drives that can be done outdoors and families and providers can all feel safe. And I think that it would just behoove the health department as well as the schools to work together to accommodate how can we service the students that are in our schools or uh, to accommodate the families that live within maybe a forest preserve, a park district, whichever is accommodating because it looks different depending on the different areas of the region uh, of Illinois. And I think that would really help to accommodate and do the catchment of those students that are in public schools, kids that may be in charter schools, but also tapping into those families that are in private schools as well. And if we can do those things and not overwhelm the hospital systems and clinic systems, but try to take advantage of this warm weather, outdoor space, and being able to do those things and create that partnership, that is a win-win for everyone. I love that, Sheila, for a few reasons. So first of all, I think park districts, something I hadn't thought about, but right now in the summer, I mean, I know lots of families are interacting with park districts because they, and, and at least where I live, I mean, they've sort of stepped up during this time period throughout the community while schools were closed to offer resources for families. And some of those were, you know, you could pick up activities or they would get, you know, email you suggested activities, but now they're doing camps or they, you know, we're doing sort of virtual school drop-off type situations. And so folks are really connected in some areas with their park district 
we don't think about park districts and vaccinations, um, or at least I don't, um, but it's where people are. And so I think that's a great idea. And then I love that you highlighted, and this is why I love Everthrive and the work that you guys do is just how complicated it was for families. Like it wasn't just how do I get to my doctor's office? How do I navigate transportation? Is my doctor's office open? Is it safe? But it's, I have an avalanche of pressures that I'm coming under as a family. I've lost my employment. I have to figure out how to get health insurance for my family. You know, perhaps I'm, you know, we have families that just never anticipated being in this situation. Um, and they didn't even know that they could reach out to the local health department. Like they never thought they would need to rely on that, or they never thought they would need to rely on Medicaid. And I know we've seen um, in some of the data we've looked at sort of an, an increased appreciation for the Medicaid program, because for so long, I think it was considered like, oh, that's not something I need. It, need. And now all of a sudden, um, so many more families had to rely on Medicaid because the social safety net um, you know, sort of required that they do so, uh, in for, you know, really, um, uncertain times. And so I think that's so important to highlight too. Like it wasn't just one thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think you, you told Samantha, you hit it on the, the nail on the head with just being meeting folks where they're at, you know, and I think that that's key when we talk about immunizations, right? We need to think about the reality is that many families are multi-generational, right? And so the more opportunities that we can provide for families, um, where families as a whole can receive, whether it's a COVID vaccine or whatever sort of vaccine and have access, you know, whether it's at their child's local school or the local park district, that's really going to break down some of those barriers that exist um, when we talk about vaccinations. So really being, you know, family centered and meeting folks where they're at is, is key. Absolutely. And you guys have, you know, done that over and over again. And I think it, it to Sheila's point, you know, having those count, having councils where you are hearing from folks directly, hearing from families, hearing from communities is so critical. And um, you guys have done I, I, some great work, and I want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to talk about it a bit, uh, a public education campaign related and geared towards parents and adolescents, which is like, you know, <laughs> a big area of concern here um, and getting those vaccinations. And I think what's interesting now too, and I hope you'll probably talk about that. I mean, we're talking about COVID vaccinations. But then we're also just talking about like HPV vaccinations, which I like to underscore a vaccination against cancer. Like this just blows my mind. Um, You know, just amazing opportunities and and need um, within the vaccination space and immunization space um, and so much um, all at once. So can you talk a bit about this campaign and, and the work that you guys are doing, you know, on educating families? Absolutely. I want to I want to say one little bit before you go in, Sassy, because it explains how we tag team together. <laughs> I, as well as my team, we we do a series of education in the community, and it varies. It could be reproductive health, it can be maternal and child health, it can be immunizations, it could be women's health, child health, so be it. 
One of the things that I noticed, and, and this started off from in the community, is that we had adults who were not really in tune in their own health. And to be very mindful of it until they started having kids. And I've always been an advocate about we need to start teaching kids at a young age to be aware of health, to start talking about understanding their bodies just in general, because then it allows them to be able to articulate and communicate what is going on, what was not going on before that is going on now that led into us being able to do this campaign that we're doing now. And Ceci and I, we were brainstorming tag team thinking like, okay, if maybe if we did this and maybe if we did that, and then that is how the adolescent campaign became what it is today. Absolutely. So, um, you know, as Sheila mentioned, you know, that we definitely try to be very community centered and elevate the information that we're hearing from the folks that we work with, you know, in addition to our partners. And so, um, you know, we do a variety of educational campaigns throughout the year. We had done one prior to launching our adolescent campaign, a flu campaign. And so, you know, with as we were discussing the adolescent vaccinations being um, greatly impacted during the pandemic and seeing the significant decline, we definitely felt like this was a great opportunity to really uh, create awareness for both parents and adolescents about vaccinations and really highlight the importance of ensuring that they were up to date and current with their vaccinations. And, you know, the reality is that, especially with that adolescent age period, I have an adolescent myself. So I know that the language that we would use for parents has to be very different than the language and even the imagery um, and the platforms that we would use for an adolescent. And so that came about and all those factors influence our adolescent campaign that we launched not too long ago. So we do have a page directly for parents that um, has information and resources for parents and talks about the importance of ensuring their child is you know, vaccinated, but not just ensuring that their child is vaccinated, but that they're engaging in conversation with their adolescent about their health, as Sheila was saying, right? You know, because at some point, these adolescents will become adults, and we want to be able to empower them to be able to make those decisions about their health and their well-being. But they need to be able to understand the complexities of their body and be able to have that a level of autonomy to be able to make those decisions. Um, so really it, it needs to be a family discussion that needs to happen between parents and adolescents, especially when you mentioned, Samantha, HPV. HPV has been historically one of those vaccines that is a cancer prevention vaccine, but has always been um, something that parents and even providers, some providers have struggled with recommending because a lot of people only associate HPV with sex. And the reality is that it's a cancer prevention vaccine. And so, you know, just like the other vaccines that we promote, this one's equally as important, you know, but as parents, it's very difficult to engage in that sort of level of conversation. Um, so we really, you know, tried to highlight all that information in the adolescent campaign. And then the adolescent webpage has really information for the adolescents. You know, how can they, if they're on TikTok, how can they vet through the information and the influencers that they are seeing to ensure that that's a medical professional, not just a, a famous TikToker talking about vaccines, um, but that this is an individual that is really 
qualified, has credentials to be able to talk about this and really, you know, understands the science of vaccines and understanding the science of how vaccines work in the body. So some of those are some of the information that we, you know, made sure to include. And again, to remind the adolescents, this is a conversation that should be had with, you know, the guardians or the parents in your life, you know, if you're interested in getting a vaccine, hey, mom, dad, you know, I want to get this vaccine. Let's talk about this. Help me understand what does that vaccine look like? How will it impact my body? How many doses do I need to get? So I think really, you know, we designed it to encourage conversation, to foster conversation between both adolescents and their parents. And so that was really the goal in addition to highlighting the importance of ensuring that they're current with their vaccinations. So before we close out, is there what's what's one takeaway that we want to make sure that our listeners have about your work in this conversation today? If, if, if either of you could just sum it up for for our listeners at home. I would say, you know, what we'd like to highlight for our listeners um, is really make sure you do your research. You know, vaccines right now, we're hearing a lot of information about vaccines, whether it's COVID or other vaccines coming forth. And we're inundated with information, um, but we need to make sure that that information is scientifically based and that it's accurate and that there is a variety of resources out there available. Um, and so, you know, we really just need to be able to um, know how to vet those resources, you know, and, I, and it's complicated because there is a ton of information, but start with, you know, your local health department, if that's where you feel most comfortable with you know, and you can navigate their, their webpage. They often have a, a ton of resources and really that, you know, vaccinations are important. And I think regardless of where individuals lie on their perspective of vaccines, one of the things that has been the silver lining of this pandemic is that we've generated enough conversation around vaccines and the importance and sort of also the systems that impact our healthcare and where the improvements need to happen. So I would just encourage folks to really not only do their research, but if you can, be an advocate, be an advocate for your own health and be an advocate for, you know, your community's health. Okay, that's a great point. A great point to wrap up. Oh, I'm sorry, Sheila, please go ahead. No, I was also going to talk about, you know, I know how difficult it is to talk to just individuals about the challenges uh, vaccines and it's not an easy conversation to have but I think that it I think from the advocate perspective we need to be okay with the decisions that folks make because I think that if we can receive what they say to us well then they in return can receive what we share with them well and just also understanding it takes time to process things you just can't imagine that if you share certain detailed information folks are going to start running to their next uh, health department or vaccination drive to go and receive these vaccines. It takes time. And I think that it is important that we also share, if you decide on plan B and C, be aware of these things and navigate these things. And these are the protection measures that you should consider as well, because that in turn just shows that we're respecting the decisions that you're making, but we're making sure that you have the most up-to-date and scientifically based information to make the best decisions for you and your family. Okay, that's a great point. Great point to wrap up on. 
uh, Sissy and, and Sheila, we, we definitely want to thank you for joining us today and hope that you both would be willing to come back and speak with us on an episode in the future, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. We appreciate it. Sam, before we close out, um, great. Another great conversation with Sheila and Ceci. Uh, anything in particular that, that stuck out with you on uh, today's conversation? You know, throughout every answer, every, you know, sort of topic, there was a consistent theme, which in my mind is, you know, meet people where they're at meet adolescents where they're at, meet folks that might have some vaccine hesitancy where they're at, um, and, and then, you know, meet community members physically where they're at, maybe the park district or their schools. And I just think from a public policy perspective and from an intervention and public health perspective, that is going to be a critical takeaway, not only on immunizations and well-child visits, but throughout you know, all of what we are sort of trying to tackle and the various healthcare items that have really come to light over the last few years, you know, is the critical nature of meeting people where they are um, and productively having those conversations and acknowledging just where folks are and acknowledging reality. Um, and I think that that will stick with me. That's for sure. All right. That's a great point. If you enjoy what you've heard today, I encourage you to visit the I'm Hip website at imhip.net to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one. Uh, the I'm Hip website is iamhp.net. I also encourage you to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And if you're interested in becoming an association trusted partner, I encourage you again to visit the website at imhip.net. Again, special thanks to Ceci and Sheila of Everthrive for joining us today. And on behalf of Sam and the wonderful team at I'm Hip, I'm DeRondel Beverly with the Gemini Group. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sam Says. Stay safe and we'll talk to you soon.